0: Welcome back to the Brew Theology Podcast. We're in Jersey again tonight, so instead of Ryan, you've got me, Nate, coming at you with this week's Hopalicious content. And we definitely have some great content tonight. But first, we have a few announcements to share. So we'll be hosting another edition of Altruist this fall right here in Montclair, New Jersey, just 20 minutes outside of New York City. So if you missed out on Altruist in Denver back in May, definitely join us in November. Uh, And if you're wondering what Ailtruist is, it's a one-day interfaith event where we'll have leaders from different traditions like Buddhism, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism all getting together for panel discussions, table conversations like what we do at pubs and breweries every week at our various brew theology chapters around the country, and some excellent craft beer provided by Jersey's own Ghost Hawk Brewing Company. Tickets are on sale at Eventbrite, and if you're listening to this on or before December 15th... There are early bird pricing specials going on right now, so don't miss out. Proceeds for the event um, will go towards the Montclair Sanctuary Alliance. And by the way, if you like what you hear on this podcast, you'll be happy to know that we brew this kind of content live and in person weekly, bi-weekly, or semi-monthly in over 10 chapters all around the U.S. If you want to join the conversation, head over to brewtheology.org to find a chapter near you, and if there isn't a chapter close by, We'd love to help you start one. Just reach out to Ryan and Janelle on the Brew Theology website and they'll get you set up with some training. You can also give us a shout on social media. We're on at Brew Theology on Facebook and Instagram and at Brew underscore Theology on Twitter. Lastly, if you'd like to support the interfaith work we do here at Brew Theology, you can find us on Patreon. And for as little as $1 a month, you can join us in our efforts to help make the world a better place by developing interfaith community through healthy, eclectic, and meaningful conversation in pubs and breweries around the country. Just swing by patreon.com slash brewtheology to donate. We're joined tonight by the Reverend John Rogers, fellow brew theologian and associate pastor at First Congregational Church in Montclair. John graduated from Union Theological Seminary just across the river in Manhattan and currently does a lot of work with youth around New York City and is an outspoken activist fighting for racial justice, immigrant rights, and LGBTQ equality. Tonight, however, we're talking about another one of his passions and areas of study, the Lost Gospels. So brewing theology with us tonight are Kelly. Hello. Matt. Cheers. (laughs) And Vicki. Hey. Uh, Real quick, what's everybody drinking
1: tonight? Everybody. All right. Well, yeah. Everybody, one, one two, two okay. three. No, no, no. beer. I'll go first. Matt, no, really. I like to identify myself with the things I consume. So here, here's what I'm drinking. <laughs> boom sauce. Boom. That's a way to identify. Boom Imper- sauce. It's an imperial IPA. It's and, great. Yeah, great. I approve okay. of it. Where's it from? Um, the store on Route 23, I don't know. <laughs>
2: Shameless nice. plug to the store on Route 23. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, I'm having Cape uh, May Lager by Cape May Brewing Company down in Cape May, New Jersey, because I'm repping tonight.
2: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I have Dogfish Head Slightly Mighty, which is a light IPA, oh, and it wow. was literally just released into the market like a month ago whoa yeah it's 96 calories so cool all the flavor it's like it's actually pretty good none of the guilt none of the guilt well (laughs) some of the guilt but not not all of it yeah
3: (laughs) having the same beer and i'm happy that you said the name because i could not remember it
4: (laughs) slightly mighty and i'm coming in with the homebrew oh
3: actually it was really good i had some
4: it is really good yeah yeah
0: cool So I think a a good way to start the conversation off tonight is um, to ask you, John, uh, what was it that drew you to these texts? Why did you begin studying the Lost Gospels?
3: So when we refer to the Lost Gospels, the most famous of the discoveries was at Nag Hammadi, Egypt in 1945. And that story is absolutely wild. (laughs) It might be completely apocryphal, Mm. but the legend goes that there were two people who were looking for firewood, and they stumbled upon these big clay jars, and they contained 13 codices, but they had no idea what they were finding. So before, they were taken to the antiquities market and like, oh my gosh, these are invaluable texts from anywhere from the 2nd century to the 4th century. Some of them were burned as fire kindling. (laughs)
0: That's a problem. <laughs> yes.
3: So the whole thing is just this like unbelievable Indiana Jones discovery that I feel like has major implications for not only like how we look at early Christianity that it's beyond the 27 books that we find in the New Testament but also really complicates who's in leadership. The Gospel of Mary has a woman as the person who stands up to the apostles when they're really scared and they don't know what to do and leads them. The Gospel of Thomas says that truth, God, is found not from an orthodoxy telling you what to believe, but something that's inside of you. It really complicates the hierarchy, power, and a lot of the issues that have made some people in with Christianity and left a whole lot of people out. Hmm.
4: So I have a question. Do you think those Gospels were just found, or were they hidden because they were being destroyed, because they were valued, somebody somebody tried to save them
3: that's a great question and it's a question that scholars don't have the answer to but the most popular theory is that it was a monk who was living at a Pacomian monastery who wanted to keep these incredible books and not have them burned because it was this time probably in the fourth century when there was a crusade against what was deemed as heretical or anything that wasn't right belief orthodoxy.
0: I like the the thought of a text that puts a woman front and center that um, puts her into leadership because that, I think, especially in the church, and we're seeing this in, in both Catholic and Protestant churches, um, that women's voices are being stamped out or trying to be controlled or manipulated And, um, the, the justification seems to always be, well, I mean, look at the Bible, you know, there, women have biblical roles. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the gospel of Mary has at its center, a woman who leads the apostles. Absolutely. But even
4: there, you can hear the tension, right? Um, you can hear that Peter is going to speak out against her. Um, you can hear the tension even in those earliest times,
3: Um, there's a quote in the gospel of mary that says are we going to listen to her Mm. a woman Mm. so mary was facing these same issues but what's so beautiful about the gospel of mary is that she stands up despite all of that and really galvanizes these um apostles out of this fearful immobilized state and tells them you know it's really simple jesus told us that we have to teach and we have to heal but as you pointed out peter is like talking shit, and she has to deal with the patriarchy. Yeah.
2: Can you um, just explain to maybe some people who don't know, um, what was Mary's relationship with Jesus? Boom. Yeah. Like, just curious. Just wondering.
1: <laughs> you didn't watch The Da Vinci Code?
2: Exactly. <laughs> Dan Brown relationship. Am I Dan Brown? <laughs> <laughs> so
3: we don't know. What that relationship was, but there are so many different leads that show that Jesus and Mary were absolutely very close. I mean, who was the first person to see Jesus after the resurrection? Mm. Mm-hmm. It was Mary. Right. I completely dodged that question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you did.
3: <laughs>
1: well, so there's like that. That kind of raises a question for me about like, is there any th- sort of evidence for like what their I don't know the sexual ethics of Gnostics were or anything like that. Do they is that something that's discussed in those texts?
3: So, I mean, that's what's really tough. Is that what we knew about the Gnostics before we actually found the texts were what church fathers wrote about them. And that was often like one of the slanders, was that it was like a mystery cult and that there was all this kind of crazy stuff going on. But there isn't that much within that I found within the actual lost gospels that speaks to that.
0: So, John, you wrote the, uh, the content for our our gathering at the pub, and um, <clears throat> you brought up a question, how did the Nag Hammadi codices end up being preserved? And, you know, there's some theories out there about a monk had hid them in the fourth century and fleed persecution. I thought this was interesting, though, that the Council of Nicaea had sort of codified what's listed as scripture. Any thoughts as to how that, I guess, suppressed or or shoved aside the the lost gospels or or any of these texts?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So the theory that there was a monk in the fourth century that had to hide these texts makes a lot of sense because the Council of Nicaea also happened in the fourth century, and it was this moment that Christianity was becoming the official religion of the Roman Empire. So what was like a movement that had a whole bunch of different expressions? um spread out all over the mediterranean now in order to be christian there was like a set of beliefs that you had to adhere to and like yes that brings unity but it also takes away from like this guy jesus did incredible things healing teaching in the valley healing without any pay there's a movement he paid the ultimate price for that movement um but then how it was in, in, interpreted in all of these different communities and the freedom of making sense of that story was taken away when it was, no, this is what it means to be a Christian.
0: Hmm. Which is kind of exactly what we see <laughs> in the church
3: today. And when power gets involved, mm-hmm. then the kind of like anti-authoritarian stance that Jesus took throughout his life is diminished.
1: So how did some of these Gnostic um, ideas differ from what would later become, you know, orthodoxy.
3: Again, with what you would call the last gospels, there isn't like a unified set of beliefs that you're going to find across every single one of these writings. But for example, with the gospel of Thomas, it says, if you don't bring forth what is within you, what is within you will destroy you. But if you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. So it's not this person with a funny hat, telling you what to believe and saying that if you believe this, you will be saved. But it's a much deeper journey that operates through intuition, through experience. And that's what makes the connection to God and to one another.
4: That's an entirely different uh, view of salvation than I've ever heard. Hmm.
3: It is. And it's very threatening when there's an institutional church that's creating a hierarchy and creating religious professionals.
2: I think it's funny that you mentioned power because I'm looking at um, the section on the guide, and it says the thunder perfect mind, and that basically details power and power structure, but power coming from within as opposed to, like, coming from something else, something other, something heavenly. It's very, very feminine the way that it's it's set up, and you can tell that it definitely has to do with Mary, and I, I was wondering if you could... Speak to that because that that really struck me.
3: Definitely, I mean, you have this feminine divine voice that isn't Jesus in the Gospel of John, who's just kind of going around being like, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And like, <laughs> when we read it uh, with my youth group, it was like, wow, this guy's like super cocky. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but with uh, Thunder Perfect Mind, um, this voice of the feminine divine says, "I am the first, and I am the last." I am she who is honored and she who is mocked. I am the whore and the holy one. Mm. So it's not that you find the divine just in the perfect or just in what's separated from the earth. But it's a divine that's in all things, even the things that might be deemed bad, might be looked down upon. Thunder Perfect Minds is actually that's where you can look to find me. Hmm.
4: Yeah, that's a burning bush. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes, <laughs> right? yes. When you encounter the great I am, I am, I am. yeah, That seems that's to cut against
1: the sort of cliche of Gnostics as um, dualistic, right? Because what you just described sounds a lot more monistic to me, but maybe I'm just sort of like misunderstanding it.
3: It's such a good point, Matt.
1: Right. So she kind of lays out these pairs of categories that are sort of dualistic, but she's also identifying herself on either side of these. And so I'm not saying this is necessarily like a completely co- like coherent um, monist ontology or something like this, right? But there's sef- there's definitely a, a a trend towards sort of thinking oneness, mm-hmm. right? And then I think and oftentimes I th- well my understanding is like the um, Gnostics are sort of attributed as, as being you know pretty hardcore dualists. I don't know. Well, I'm, it's just kind of problematizing that idea for me a little bit.
3: Exactly, and it's such an important point because the. Gnostic stereotype is that the Gnostics hated matter and love spirit, that they hated the world, that they were looking for this, like, heavenly, um, escape, heavenly reality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. like the matrix. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. But then when you actually get into the text, Thunder Perfect Mind, perfect example, or even uh, the Gospel of Mary. For what we have, it begins with all natures, all creatures, all things exist in and with one another, and they will be dissolved into their own root. So you have a very kind of like earth-based, non-dualist mm. worldview.
4: And becoming fully human. Yes. Mm. Is that not part of the Gospel of Mary? Becoming fully human. And
3: that's what Mary says, is that Jesus was the one who taught them how to be human.
0: Mm. So I'll pose this question to uh, to everyone um, here. How much prior knowledge uh, did you have about the early Christian texts beyond uh, the 27 books of the Christian Testament or the New Testament, as it were? Yeah, like next to nothing for me.
4: Zero. Nothing. Nothing. Hmm. How could they have not mentioned it? You didn't mention it in passing since 1970-something that Mary had a gospel or Thomas? Well, why would they? Really? I know we we would need to stick to the canon, but how could you just leave that little detail out?
1: Well, it's like there's a lot already, (laughs) you know what I mean, to kind of wade through in terms of – you know, what are, what are the canonized texts? So it's just like, you're going to add in all this other stuff? Like, we don't even understand what we have sitting in our, you know, <laughs> what we have on our plate. <laughs> yeah. You're going to add in all this other crazy stuff? That's not going to work. You know, no one's going to kind of push that
3: forward. my
4: whole history as a woman, sacred leadership and history, you know.
3: And what's difficult about with the canonical text is we don't encounter that text fresh. There's 2,000 years of interpretation that's kind of over our our shoulder telling us almost like what to believe when we read, you know, the Gospel of John. But with the Nag Hammadi text, we're able to really encounter this in such a fresh way. So beyond, and which to me is central, so many of the voices that you don't hear in the 27 books of the New Testament, that's extremely problematic Mm -hmm. because we know that in Acts, it was women who were funding the early church. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's a misrepresentation of what the movement was, mm-hmm. right? You know what I mean? And and what what, what just like drives me nuts is like not to call Christianity or to compare it in any way to a crime scene. But if you had, <laughs> if you had no, mom, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But if you but you if you had all these other so-called witnesses, yeah, who were interpreting what was going on, all these other points of view, wouldn't you want to at least talk to them to try to figure out what was going on? No because I believe
2: what I believe yeah
1: we got an agenda over here
2: well I think that's exactly it like there was a um, a hierarchy. There was a, there is a powerful group of people that wanted to use Christianity in order to further their own political agenda. And those two things kind of went hand in hand and the voices that were inconvenient to that story, maybe they were, you know, less necessary, let's say, so we could put them in the clay pots and we can hide them away and their voices weren't heard. And I feel like that's, It's sad, but it was just a necessary thing for the people in power. What about
1: some of the dating? Sorry. What about some of the dating on those texts? Like not to get like overly technical, but like, I'm sort of curious about that. You know, like where do they fall um, on the timeline as compared to, you know, like Matthew, Mark, like the, the, you know, what people normally know. extremely
3: important question. I mean, some scholars put the Gospel of Thomas at 50, which would be 10 years before the Gospel of Mark.
2: So they're like more accurate. Well, more, not accurate, <laughs> that's, not accurate yeah. but more recent.
1: That's more sassy. <laughs> more
3: sassy. <laughs> Sorry. But then there's a lot of other ones that are dealing with like martyrdom, and you know mm. that those are in the second century, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, because that's like when so many Christians were being killed. So there's really, it ranges. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, one okay.
4: of the things you pointed out was in the Gospel of Thomas. There's a quick verse, and it's it just says, Jesus said, be passersby. And yeah, we haven't. Hmm. Done two thousand years to that parable, that short um, two-word parable, and and it just I haven't stopped thinking about it since we we mentioned it in a conversation we had in the past. It sounds what very Buddhist, right? Mean? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, yeah. And 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 it's just evoked in me so much thought yes. that I could just sit with that quote, and and because it comes from Thomas, it is an early quote. It is likely. It sounds so very likely um, to be something Jesus might have said. What does it mean? And I don't know. And it could mean. And we could have such conversations around those simple two words. Be passers by. What? Hmm. What does that mean? Then, what does it mean? Now, what could it mean? I mean, just.
0: Well, why don't we have some conversation right? about that right now? Let's uh, <laughs> let's do a little midrash in the uh, in in that that particular phrase. Be passers by
3: to me, so much of human suffering comes from our grasping, grasping at our suffering, grasping at a story that we want to believe that it will make us feel better. Grasping at something that we love so much that we hold on to that we don't want anyone else to, 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 you know, share it with us because we love it so much. Um, and being passersby is actually understanding that in the flow of time, things are going to come and things are going to go you know Mm. um and that it's our human illusion that we can really control so much Mm. that makes us feel that makes us suffer
4: it sort of reminds me of um the story of lot's wife when she turns back the city's fallen everything they've known has fallen apart and she turns back and you know perhaps uh She cries till the point that she turns to a pillar of salt. Maybe just to be able to move on, not to turn back and be stuck in that till you turn into a pillar of salt, Hmm. Um, but to be a passers by. Perhaps it references that story, that ancient story.
3: Hmm. And it's such a difficult teaching, though, because I'll say that doing pastoral care, there's so many times that I want to say, This will pass and yet when folks are in the heat of the moment sure. mm-hmm. it feels like exactly what i shouldn't say yeah. <laughs> you know cuz our experience is so real yeah
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically in a nutshell. Like, you got to let that shit go. Exactly. <laughs> you got to let that shit go. Um, it's that frozen. You know, or, <laughs> okay, yeah. Let that shit go. <laughs> but in like, uh, esotericism and, and magic is sort of an interest of mine now in, uh, these days. And that sort of like resonates to me in terms of binding and loosening. So it's just, it's a form mm-hmm. of, you got you to gotta loosen up. You got to let it go.
3: Exactly. You know,
1: like, re- you got to release it. Um, but I mean, there's other ways to interpret that verse, like be passers by. Like I could, I could see, uh, a more hard-nosed interpretation being something like, Oh, you know, don't worry about that homeless guy on the street. He's good. You know what I mean? (laughs) Just pass him by. You know what I mean? So like, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that's a, that's a good interpretation, but I'm just saying there's, there's a, a sort of, um, multivalences within these texts that you could read. And so like, is this something that the Gnostics give to us too? Sort of like a reading of the world as, a text. Do you know what I mean? Is there a sort of hermeneutics of suspicion in the inherent into the in the Gnostics, where they kind of are looking behind things,
3: almost pulling back the veil.
1: Yeah, pulling back the veil exactly. Right, because the whole thing is gnosis, secret knowledge. Right. I'm stuck on this,
3: see a homeless guy and walk right past him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a terrible interpretation,
0: I'm just saying. You know what, I, can can we go back to that just a little bit and and how we, we sit with the text that for the most part, I think, you know, four out of five people around this table are very unfamiliar with, and we're interpreting it, and we're having these conversations about it, and then you have your interpretation, you have your interpretation, and then you have... This shit that Matt just pulled. <laughs> um, Which I'm not affirming. I'm just kind of saying. Yeah, no, and it may, what, what, I'm, what I'm highlighting is that it sort of highlights what we do with the canonical texts as well. But we don't see it because they've been with us for so many thousands of years. We don't even realize that we're doing this with these ancient texts it's like a really
2: long form game of telephone almost yeah where it kind of gets distorted the more time passes
3: or even unconsciously looking for that one absolute truth when
0: maybe there isn't one like we're looking at this text and i i mean at least the way that i'm feeling as we're as we're talking about that particular phrase just two words i'm sitting here thinking we look at ancient Christian texts, and we want to find an absolute truth, but maybe there isn't necessarily an absolute truth, that a statement like, be passersby, it sounds like a command. It sounds like something that you say, do this. But then you have to
1: ask, well, what does that really mean? It's so provocative because of the lack of information it gives you. It's like, no, you're saying something, but you're not giving me is all the information, but you're, there's an intention behind yeah. it, and so you have to sort of get behind the text. And
3: how much is that like Jesus speaking in parables? hmm Yeah. You know? And when you look at the Gospel of Thomas, these are a bunch of pretty much individual wisdom sayings that can be unpacked in all kinds of ways. And there have been all kinds of goofy um, theories about how the individual wisdom sayings may or may not be connected, but they're so much more like a Buddhist koan that have you experience... Reality in a different way think in a different way but I don't think is leading to like oh my god <laughs> like this is no this, this is the this, conclusive this. Yeah. <laughs> it's happening guys yeah. <laughs> and that's and that doesn't bring the same kind of comfort right mm-hmm. because it, if we're given the answers if we're given the truth then we don't have to work mm. right
1: you just have to obey
3: trust and obey
1: there's no other
3: way there's no other way to be happy in Jesus (laughs) and one of the things I think I've always been drawn to with the Gnostics if we're going to use that phrase is that it it does seem to me to be more mystical Mm -hmm. and I love the Tao Te Ching and it starts with the Tao that can be named is not not the the eternal eternal Tao Tao. Mm -hmm. so to me it's almost like spirit like what I would call spirit once you think that you've grasped it You've lost it. Yeah. That it's something that you're always in relationship with and is, is almost always escaping being fully caught or mm-hmm. being fully understood. Mm-hmm. And that's what keeps us dancing with the spirit.
0: It's no wonder that this sort of lends itself to uh, that esoteric approach. I'm not sure if that's the right word I'm looking for, but I'm trying to get to the... Well, it Never got. it never became codified. Something that you had brought up before we even hit record... Was the frustration that you have a little bit with the, uh, the lack of a, a, a practicality? But, but for you, there seems to be a, 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 a heavy practicality, a weightiness to why these texts are important.
3: Yeah, any kind of like lack of practicality, in my opinion, is sort of a false stereotype. About these texts, Mm. because again, for like 2000 years, almost what we knew about them were based on the haters, the people who didn't want to engage in this way of thinking, this way of wrestling with these stories or with this understanding of the world. Like you mentioned, even the name Gnostic
0: was kind of, uh, it w- wasn't that sort of a derogatory
3: term that yeah, term of derision. Yeah, exactly. But so is Christians. That's true. Yeah. You know, but it was embraced. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so what we, before we actually found the text, what we understood about the Gnostics is if they were one uniform group, which they were not, was all what people who disagreed with them were saying. And those are people that were very much in power. But what that's like is like, if um, Matt and I don't like some dude and we're just, like, talking shit about that person, would you believe everything that we say? If we if you know that we have some kind of bias that, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And never give that person a chance. I, I only
1: speak the truth. <laughs>
3: well, I, yes, I
1: would believe
0: it because I trust you
4: guys. <laughs> Except in this yeah. case, it was women and a feminine view of God. And it has affected us for 2,000 years. Amen,
2: amen. And yeah, yeah, and what I wanted to ask you, Kelly, was um, how do you see the gospel of marriage as a book as a whole? Because when I read it, it makes a lot of sense to me. Like, for example, this passage, it says, the Blessed One said, beware that no one led you astray saying, look over here or look over there for the child of
4: humanity is within you. Oh yeah. That's just so far from what the patriarchy has. Yeah. God is out there, supernatural. Right. Ow, way out. Um so yeah, it's it's it didn't support the majority. It's it's the minority report. And um it was suppressed. And I find it just devastatingly painful to think that it it it's not just ignorance where people just didn't know. It was active. Mm. They took that thought and that and they, they, it had to be hidden in a, in a pot somewhere to save it because they, it wasn't just an ignorance. They actively sought to exterminate it. Right. And that has affected women and women's spirituality and our cultures for Mm. centuries, just centuries. Mm.
2: Yeah. Could you imagine what, what, um, religion as a whole would be like if, if everything that we needed we knew was inside of us and we just had to look introspectively in order to find it
4: or else in the gospel of mary too if how far would the church have gone through right. the medieval times if if everyone believed there is no sin <laughs> Which is, is what, there is no sin that's it, yeah. the gospel of mary quote yeah there is none then there wouldn't be much to have to go and atone and pay up our penitence for um
1: that idea that there is no sin—I wonder to what extent. I mean, I don't know if we want to get into like the whole cosmology, mythology of stuff like that, but I feel like that might fall out of that a little bit. You know what I mean? And uh, I don't know. Do we want to? Do we want to talk about it? It would
4: just put that in though the discussion that that quote is there. Mm-hmm. That there's another there's another way of seeing things because it
1: sounds like uh, like in a, it sounds like in a certain way like Aleister Crowley like do what thou will. Which I don't have a problem with necessarily, but that from from what I understand, like that was like the attitude of the the It it was just like, no, everything is everything is lawful because there is no sin. Mm.
3: So whatever, do whatever Rila you comes want comes after there is no sin.
1: Yeah, give me some more.
4: We <laughs> <laughs> don't want to
3: fall into just one Sorry, verse. Sorry, I was then... cherry
4: picking. No, no, no. <laughs> the Savior said there is no sin, but it is you who makes sin when you do things that are like. The nature of adultery, which is called sin. that is why the good came into your midst, coming to the good which belongs to every nature in order to restore it to its root.
1: Okay, the good, the good is returning and now
3: we're into the <laughs> neo <Neo-Platonism. laughs> yeah, yes yeah, yeah. yes
1: yes, that's cool. All right. So they weren't actually eating babies. They were
3: not eating babies.
1: <laughs> if, if we get one thing from this podcast,
3: the Gnostics were
1: not eating okay. babies. Because because I, that was my real concern. Is like, okay, if we let this Gnosticism loose upon the world, people are going to be like, oh, there's no sin, and they're going to start eating babies.
4: <laughs>
2: right away.
1: You know, clearly that's like, you know, slippery slope.
2: I think it, it, it kind of speaks to the fact that, like, goodness is inside of you, and... Um, sometimes evil is inside of you too, but it doesn't necessarily... like You don't make decisions based off of what you're afraid is going to happen to you because God will smite you or God will reward you. You make decisions because inherently God is within you. Um, I mean, at least it appears to me that that's what they're talking about. It's not necessarily like you know, don't sin or else you're going to get in trouble. It's like, don't sin because, like, that's not really what feels good. It's not the right thing to do. It's
1: actual ethics. It's
3: not right. a system of rewards and exactly. punishments. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, Exactly. Moral development, you know, you have the phase where it's like, Yeah, you need someone who's telling you don't touch the stove. Or if you do touch the stove, it's a good lesson. But that kind of like outside authority plays a part at some point. But it doesn't mean that we have to stay there because there's a religion that locks you in Mm -hmm. to this is the only way of being. And that, but that's, that was another, that's another stereotype though with the Gnostics is that they're elitist.
0: I I want to talk a little bit about the, the Gospel of Mary too.
1: Um, No, wait, can we go back to the Gospel of Thomas? Oh, yeah, doesn't he, doesn't he like, doesn't Jesus? As a child, oh my God, kill the, three people. The, the the, right, yeah. <laughs> Can we talk okay. about how he oh killed three gosh. people?
4: Slightly problematic. Um, That's an but e- it's an
2: accident.
3: Hold on, hold on, hold on.
2: <laughs> yes, bring us back, John. <laughs>
3: So that's in the infancy gospel of thomas which yeah, is a yeah. different book Baby the- <laughs> Jesus so powerful. <laughs> okay so No, so-
2: not like an infant infant. Wait. Oh,
0: right, right. Like as a child. Like a toddler. Yeah. We'll clarify well- that for us a little bit because you were you were about to say that it's a different it's a different It's book. a different text. Yeah. yeah, different yeah. Different so text the gospel entirely. of thomas okay. is a
3: collection of wisdom sayings while the infancy gospel of thomas is um it's like an '80s movie. Oh, it's like, it's like a kid. movie. It's like it's like a like little kid. Yeah, it's it's re- like Stranger Things. no,
2: it is like Stranger Things. It's so cool. It's Sorry. a little kid.
3: It's a little kid who has great power and doesn't know what to do with it. Mm. And in that kind of like figuring it out, makes some mistakes, but turns out all right. <laughs> in the end, in a world, right? No, in exactly. the world. <laughs> if you liked Home Alone,
0: it's <laughs> <laughs> so good. So good. Yeah.
3: All right, I'm sorry.
0: So then, um, okay, we, did, we touched on yeah, in the on '90s, but... some of the texts from um, the Gospel of Thomas. Let's read through some of these a little bit. Um, so Jesus said, I am the light which is above all. I am the all. The all has come forth from me, and all has split open before me. Left the stone, you will find me there. Split the piece of wood, I am there.
2: Hmm. It's so sciency. I love it. It's like I'm cells. I am like a wood cell. Like I am a plant cell. Yes. I am a human um, animal cell. I am underneath that rock over there. That millipede. That's me. I am like the earthworm. I am everything.
4: That's so cool. Super yeah, that's pantheistic. That's far from the dominion, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. dominion over the earth. Well, it's part of nature and be yeah, like yeah. a like pantheist. It's very yeah. Pocahontas, which I like. Yeah,
2: <laughs> like the mo- Disney movie, hmm.
3: "The Colors of the Wind."
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, which has problems in and of itself, but
3: <laughs> some beautiful songs in there. Exactly. Yeah. But again, that's another text that really complicates this whole notion that the Gnostics hated the earth, and they mm. were just brooding intellectuals, you know, <laughs> that um, saw all matter is bad. There it is, right in the Gospel of Thomas, which we've found multiple copies of the Gospel of Thomas. This was not just, like, one person writing this book, and it wasn't—it didn't have an influence. Right. This is— you know, there, there are a, a number of folks who believe that the Gospel of Thomas, because there's so many sayings that are similar to, um, the gospel, the, uh, canonical gospels might have been a source for the, um, gospels that are found in the canon, but at least is very much like in the, um, milieu yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of uh i cannot
1: believe i just used that word
3: <laughs> me neither <laughs>
2: of, uh, of
3: the thinking of, at that time
1: yeah well that's, uh, it makes me wonder because we've already said something about like the possible implications for uh, of these texts on you know issues like, like egalitarianism and stuff like this but like what about what about ecology because this has a sort of ecological um Flare to it, this particular verse, but it makes me kind of just think about this question more generally about how to, what was there, what you want. Go ahead, go. Heavy breathing over there. I had to blow into the mic
3: first. <laughs> a uh, go. So, uh, texts like um, the Gospel of Thomas, but also um, a wonderful text called the Re- the Secret Revelation of John have a kind of eschatology that is not all about the ending and end times mm-hmm. and like <laughs> we're all going to escape and Jesus is going to come back and all these kind of things. Yeah. But it's actually before you think about, this is from the Gospel of Thomas, I believe, before you focus on what happens in the end, go back to what, be, what happened in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like instead of kind of trying to escape from – the reality that we're in right now Mm -hmm. if we actually understood who we are and where we came from then that can be a, a liberation in itself So, a lot of the texts, um, that are left out of the canon really deal with these major existential questions. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? Because there's this feeling that human beings don't know themselves. And because we don't know ourselves, we act like idiots. (laughs) And, and, And with, and with, uh, you know, the ecological crisis that we're in right now, In my mind, the earth provides everything that we need, and yet we are stripping it and killing it, or Mm. we're actually killing ourselves, Mm. because we don't know how to work with it. We want to grab from it, take from it, instead of actually being in right relationship with it. Mm.
2: Correct me if I'm wrong. I I understand there's a certain sect of maybe Christianity or maybe just people in general that think that God has created the world for us people so that like that resources are for us to use and to consume and that's it you know what I mean absolutely but here I mean I think what you're talking about it's logen 18 it says his followers said to Jesus tell us how our end will be and Jesus said have you discovered the beginning that you will ask about the end for in the place where the beginning is there the end will be Blessed is the one who takes a stand in the beginning. That one will know the end and will not experience death. So it's kind of more about, like, knowing where you came from and, like, respecting that. And, like, stewardship of what you already have instead of being like, well, if I just pray enough, then I'll get into the kingdom of heaven. and like, It doesn't really matter so much what I do with my trash, you know? <laughs> like, if I recycle enough. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. And just, at least for me, the kind of tendency... To not really face the reality of where I am at a certain moment, but dreaming about where I could be, Mm. where things will all be better. You know, oh, if I just move to this other city, then everything will be all right. Oh, if I just have, um, this other friend, then things will be better. Instead of actually encountering the suffering that to be human just comes with. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the complications and, and, and all the, uh, things that make, living both very difficult and very beautiful yeah. they're all they're all in it together it's all it's all existing simultaneously i've just loved like what you all have said it's like so much i oh. mean it's just it's you're you're really i think that this is such a beautiful balance of getting at some really meaningful stuff that i think is like universal and we're we seem to hit on so much of what gets in the way of like people just Trying these texts, you know what I mean, like
1: the stereotypes. So, have you preached on them on at FCC?
2: I have sometimes, yeah. But I don't think we know. Like, I I didn't know there was like a couple times where they were like snuck in there, and I remember reading this and being like, "What? That was a Gnostic gospel? Um, That was like you know in whatever." I mean, it's just like a reading from whatever, and you don't realize until. After, the, I mean, I don't because I'm a bad Catholic, and like bad Catholics aren't really well versed in scripture. Um, thank you for laughing; that makes me feel better about myself. Um,
1: Good ones aren't either, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah no, that's <laughs> true. I was
2: say, really, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Oh, um, yeah, sometimes they get snuck in there, hmm. which is cool.
0: I want to talk about this text because it's kind of fucking with me right now. Um, <laughs> Jesus said. I have cast fire upon the world. Oh, boy. And behold, I will watch over it until it burns. It's
2: very
4: Handmaid's Tale. I love it. Okay, I'm, I'm, Wait, I'm cherry that picking one? that one out. Okay. I when I read the Gospel of Thomas, I don't like it.
0: I love it. Oh, oh so you're reverse cherry picking. Yes, I'm reverse
4: cherry picking. <laughs> I'm not picking that one. Wait, where is that? Because that's awesome. I mean, it sounds Long-ton like, 10. you know,
1: like I've, I've come, I don't think I've come to bring peace, but a sword, like that sort of thing. Or like, it sounds, has a sort of apocalyptic flair to it, which, you know, of course means it's political so yeah. I, I immediately want to read this politically where is it
0: yeah it's um on low john 10 um where shall we? right oh, there's a couple okay, of them okay.
4: like that in, oh. the, in the gnostics Am I looking I at the wrong to one? Sort of cross yeah. it no. out. <laughs> no, no, no.
2: I have cast... But, like, what does fire mean in yes, that context? 50, yes. Does it mean that, yes. like, I'm literally just going to, like, burn everything down? Like, fuck all this shit. I'm going to fucking burn it down. Or is it, like... Khaleesi. I- <laughs> but- yes! Drakaris,
1: <laughs> the, the lost gospel of Khaleesi. <laughs> yes.
2: As we say in my apartment, and I have a beautiful portrait of Khaleesi on the wall. Do. Um do. Shameless p- self-plug. I will say, I, I'm as much as I want it to be about Khaleesi. I feel that it's not necessarily about I'm like burning everything down as much as it is. I have sparked something in the hearts and minds of all Christian believers, Preach. and it's and it's spreading. It's not just me; it's everyone um, who believes it inside of themselves. They don't need to f- like necessarily follow some strict doctrine as long as they feel it inside of themselves, and they'll know. I don't know uh, if that makes sense.
0: But. I like that. I, I like that interpretation. <laughs> that was awesome. I can dig it. Yeah. Thank you. I do kind of want to go down the political path though, because I've been sort of over the last like couple of years really been diving into the sense of Jesus as a political figure. Um, and how, how cool would that be? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but in in this almost like an, in in a in a an anarchist kind of way, not not exactly like we would think of in anarchy politically today. But he was kind of anarchist. He was, so like, yeah.
2: You know the what I understand is like the Roman Empire, like whatever was going on mm, at the time. Right. He was just kind of like, no, like just be a good person, and like don't worry so much about everything else that's going on
0: how much of that could have also been like what was written into the character of jesus true. uh Very because true. Of, you yeah. you've you got to think that they all had a political agenda political agenda as they were writing his story <laughs>
3: there's no yeah there's <laughs> no doubt that the whole movement was extremely political oh yeah i mean the fact that jesus is called son of god which is the same oh, yeah. term for caesar caesar, caesar yeah. ah. you know caesar augustus is that true yeah. or yes. Like, yes. i've never heard mm-hmm.
2: that before yeah so wild in
0: fact uh we'll, we'll pause there for a sec this is fun where, where you look at a lot of the language that is used in christianity um it all stems from a usurping of um roman language so the word gospel uh comes from roman language where you would have like a messenger from rome enter a city and say good news yeah the kingdom of heaven mm. is at hand
1: and it's all language that we're familiar with as christians it's but- it's straight up mockery yeah and that's why these 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 guys were hated by the Roman Empire, they're like, these guys are like straight up making fun <laughs> of us. Yeah. You know, it's and Palm it's, Sunday. It's an yeah. anti-imperial
3: program. Wait, what do you straight mean? Straight up. What do you mean? <laughs> so Palm Sunday, um, Pilate was also riding into Jerusalem mm. and there was this like amazing parade with like all the bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. And to Matt's point, the Palm Sunday story of jesus coming in on this like little donkey is just an absolute mockery it's a lambast of, yeah, yeah of what was happening on the other side of town
4: it would almost be like taking the stars and stripes and making them rainbow colored <gasps> somebody should do that that would be awesome i feel like i've
2: seen <laughs> Actually, that before and i was yeah. like yes like on instagram like yeah we we're just at a, at a
0: pool party where <laughs> absolutely
2: we
1: had that flag <laughs> The stars and stripes and the stripes were rainbows. But even when the political implication is not like explicit and upfront and kind of on the surface, like a, ver- uh, a, a you know an excerpt like this, or, what it, or, Where is it? Where to go? Um, I can I, I have cast fire upon the world, and behold. So like the thing you just said, the interpretation, completely sort of spiritual has 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 a political implication, a sort of anarchic political implication yeah. built yeah. into it. It doesn't. Yeah. You don't have to yeah. kind of make it you know, uh, one yeah, or the anyway. other. There doesn't yeah,
2: have
3: yeah, to yeah. be the Yeah, no, the it binary. could be both. Yeah, Why
2: not both? both? Yeah. The taco commercial. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and this is so important too because it's like even when we just engage with the canon, it's like we read it as Jesus Christ, you know, like all of that comes with the religion of Christianity over 2,000 years. But when Jesus of Nazareth was walking around saying these things, there's plenty of, you know, there's plenty in the text that says that people are like, who is this dude from Nazareth? You know what I mean? Like, what does he think he is? Like, just mocking him behind his back. Oh, is that Joseph's kid? Same (laughs) shit like, I and the father are one.
1: Like, what? Like, who is this guy? Exactly.
3: Exactly. But again, it's like, to me, Christianity has become about worshiping Jesus instead of following Jesus. Actually, that wasn't to me. That's Richard Rohr. (laughs) But it's so good. It's so good. And with that, we're going to take a break. Please join us for the rest of this discussion on the next episode of the Brew Theology Podcast.
1: Cheers!